Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Revelation chapter 14, the first five verses we have already covered. I don't know if you remember that or not, but when we covered Revelation 7... We talked about and introduced us to those 144,000 witnesses, those 144,000 Jews who would be saved, 12,000 from each of the tribes. And whenever we were talking about that and introducing them, we came over here to Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, because it gave a greater description or a better description of who these 144,000 witnesses or Jewish witnesses would be. So we covered that back at that time. So we'll be picking up beginning in verse 6. We've just finished that time whenever he's introduced and Jesus introduced all of those players at the end for the apocalypse. And now he picks up and what we have here in chapter 14 is we have a number of angelic visions. Visions concerning angels. There are three angels that he sees and then right in the middle of there is a there's an Interlude are a, a word of encouragement for the saints, especially those saints of the tribulation. And then there are two other visions that introduce three other angels regarding the reaping and the harvesting at the end of time. We'll be ending this with the Lord's Supper, and you'll see how that fits in to the message today. Beginning in chapter 14, verse number 6. Here's the first vision. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. Having an eternal gospel, you need to write that down, an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. He said with a loud voice, fear not and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. This first angel is carrying on the role of a preacher. He is preaching forth the gospel, the eternal gospel of God. Now, that's interesting that the angel would preach and say, well, why would he do that? Because that's really left up to men to preach. That's exactly right. Remember, God called us to share the gospel. You're supposed to be out sharing the good news about Jesus today. Every one of us have that responsibility, that calling. But here's a good thing about God. God says even if his people at times would not do what he commands them to do, he's going to get his gospel out there. Kind of reminds you what Jesus said whenever he came came into Jerusalem and the children were crying Hosanna and worshiping him. And those who didn't like it came up and said, why are you letting them worship you? Tell them to stop worshiping you. Stop calling Hosanna to you. You Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said if they did not worship the what? The rocks. The rocks will cry out. The rocks will bear testimony. And the reality of that is is that God is going to get forth his word, whether it be the praise and adoration of Jesus, or whether it be the eternal gospel or the good news. And in this particular time, when it seems as though the witnesses of Christ and all those who follow him are being beaten down, they're being killed, they're being murdered, they're being martyred, he still sends forth an angel to preach forth the eternal gospel. To let people in the world know. That's a gracious God. He continues to let the people of the world know that there is a reckoning, but there is also an opportunity to be saved. 
Listen to what he says about that gospel in verse 7. And with a loud voice he said, Fear God and give him glory. Because what? Because the hour of his judgment has come. And do what? And worship him. Worship the one who what? Who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. His message is this. You need to fear God, reverence God. You need to honor God and glorify God. You need to worship God because here's the reality. His judgment is coming. His judgment has arrived. This is the time. And understand that the judgment of God's coming, but there's still the opportunity, there's still this privilege, even to those in that time of the tribulation when it's getting so close to the end of time, there's still this opportunity to respond. God is so good that he would continue to give forth that invitation. Continue to invite people to come and tell them you need to come because the judgment is coming. Now, we know the judgment of God is coming. But when they're in that period of time, the tribulation, the judgment of God is that much closer. Amen. It is so very close. And he says, before the time runs out, you need to come. You need to come. That is the good news. And one thing you need to understand about the gospel and the good news is the gospel is a two-edged sword. That means that on one side, it's telling you God is gracious, he's awesome, he's wonderful, and you can respond to him and he will save you. But the flip side of that, the opposite side of that two-edged sword is this. But if you do not, if you do not respond, understand the judgment of God is coming. There's going to be a judgment that has to be paid. All sin has to be paid for. Whether it be paid for by the Lamb of God as he died on that cross or whether it's paid by you because you refuse to let him take away your sin. And the eternal gospel is preached by that angel as he comes forth. Then we find a second angel in verse number 8. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. It announces the fall of Babylon. Now, we're not going to spend much time on that because the fall of Babylon is covered in chapter 18. Look over there to chapter 18. If you have a little head in your Bible, it probably says Babylon is fallen. And we'll talk at that time. We'll get to chapter 18 of what Babylon is just to just let you know it's the world system. The world system of sin, the world system that has been influenced by the darkness of sin and by Satan's influence, the world system is going to be dealt with by God. Why? Because he has to deal with a sinful world. He has to judge a sinful world. He has to cleanse a sinful world so he can make all things new. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And before he does that, he's going to have to clean up the Babylon, the world system. It's going to tell you in great detail in chapter 18. But once again, our God is a good God. Because before he ever sends forth judgment, he always lets people know what's coming. He always gives a warning of what's going to happen. He always says, beware, this is taking place. It doesn't sneak up on you, not if you hear the word of God. Because the word of God makes it very clear what he's about to do. The eternal gospel was preached by one of the angels. The other angel says, Fallen, fallen, great is the fall of Babylon, this world system that's going to take place. Then it brings us to the third angel. That's what it says in verse 9. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, 
If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand. Now, we just covered all that in chapters 12 and 13, didn't we? We just talked all about what's taking place. There's going to be the beast from the earth and the beast from the sea. And they're going to have a mark, 666, the number or the name of the beast. And they're going to have to choose whether or not they're going to take that mark upon their their right hand and upon their forehead, which gives to them the right that they can do carry out business and carry on commerce, or that they'd not be the enemy of the state and be killed because they wouldn't worship the image of the Lamb. They have to make that choice. They have to make that decision. What's going to take place? What's going to happen? He, he, I hear the angel tells you, if anyone worships the beast or his image and receives the mark on his forehead or upon his hand, verse 10, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. The wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented. Those who, who partake, those who get the mark of the beast, those who worship the beast and follow the beast. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. That third angel is pronouncing the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon any of those who are going to choose what seems to be the easy way out, and that is to take the name or the mark of the beast so they can live life in this world. He says there's a reckoning coming. There's the wrath and the anger of God that is going to come upon those who worship the beast or take that mark. And here's the thing about that torment. That torment they're going to be in and that pain they're going to suffer and that agony they're going to go through is not for a season. It is not for a time, but it will be forever. It will be forever. Now think about that, friend. Think about that for just a minute. In our life, we're going to have times of torment. We're going to have times of pain. We're going to have times of agony. But do you know how we get through that? You know how we get through that? Because we say, well, one day it will be over. Amen. (laughs) One day it won't hurt anymore. This is not forever. This is just for a season of time. And we can handle that. We can live with that because we know it's not forever. Could you imagine? Could you imagine having torment and pain and it's going to be forever? That's the deception that the old enemy Brings about to the people of the world. Come here and take the mark of the beast. And when you take the mark of the beast, you'll be able to carry on commerce. You'll be able to buy and sell. And you'll be able to live a normal life. And it won't be any trouble for you. And you'll be fine. But the only thing is on the flip side, because they've done that, they're going to suffer judgment forever and ever. And there is no hope. Versus the child of God who refuses to take the mark, who refuses to worship the beast, who says, as the three Hebrew children, I will not worship you. I will not honor you. There's only God, one God I will serve, and that is God, Jehovah, and I will not do it. And therefore, that period they are tormented, or therefore, that period they are killed. 
But after they're killed, they suffer no more. Amen? I'm going to tell you, I look forward when there will be pain no more. I look forward when there'll be sorrow no more. I look forward to that day whenever all of that stuff is past. All of that stuff is finished. And we have eternal peace and joy and the presence of Almighty God and the blessings of God in full measure. That's what I'm looking forward to. But I couldn't imagine if I had in, in my heart and in my mind thinking that if I don't do something in my life, I'm going as my destiny to spend the rest of my life in torment and pain, in fire and brimstone. God does not want you to experience that. So once again, he sends the angel with the eternal gospel to warn you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be there. He sends the other angel and says, this world system is Babylon is going to come down and what you're trusting in will be no more. And he sends that third angel to say this, beware that if you make the wrong choices, there is going to be reckoning and it's going to be not for a season, but for all eternity. The three angels give that message to the people of that day for them to be able to respond to the gospel of hope. Well, after those three angels, then Jesus, as he always does through this letter, he gives a word of encouragement. It's like there's, there's so much negative and so much hard things, and so much hard to swallow and grasp, that Jesus says, well, let me give you a good word. Let me give you an encouraging word. Let me give you something that keeps you going on to realize you can make it. And that encouraging word comes here in verses 12 and 13. It's a specifically a word for those saints who are saved during the tribulation period, but it is a good word for any of us who are children of God. Listen to it in verses 12 and 13. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Here's the promise. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds follow with or after them. What a great word of encouragement. A word of encouragement specifically to those saints at that time. Remember, those people who are giving their heart to Christ in that tribulation period are being martyred. They're paying a great price to be a believer. They're in a world where the Holy Spirit and the church are, are no longer there. And the restraining power has been removed. And the old enemy is rampant. And he's causing all kind and wreaking havoc in every way that you could possibly imagine. It is a difficult time to live in. A hard time to live in. But he says this. For those who are the saints, for those who persevere, here's what God says. Notice, this is not John speaking. He said, I heard a voice where? Look at it, verse 12. I heard a voice where? From heaven. I heard a voice from heaven. This is a pronouncement by Almighty God. I heard a voice from heaven. He says, write this down, John. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now, let me, just, let me just give something to you right there that will be a blessing to you, all right? You need to remember and be reminded. We talk about that a lot of times when we have funeral service. If you're, you be at a funeral, we, we talk about it. But you need to be reminded when we're not at a funeral, amen? And, and that's, this is the truth. This is the reality. That God sees death for you, a saint, totally different than you see death for you as a child of God. All right? 
We, even though we say we're saved, and even though we say we're going to heaven, and we believe in heaven out there, and we're going to a better place, it's almost like we are defeated when we die. We'll go up and tell people, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about that. Listen, for the death of a godly one, that's the most precious thing God can do for any saint. When God's sitting up there in heaven and saying, well, who do I want to bless most? He says, I want to bless most, not with a new car, not with a new house, not with better health. Who can I bless most? That one I'm going to take here and bring here to glory. Amen. That's the mind of God. That he can bring us as soon as he can to glory. For glory is the best place. It's the most wonderful experience. Every day you live here, you're not living there. My friends and my family who preceded me, they have something on me. And I guarantee you when I get to heaven, they're going to tell me. This is what they're going to tell me. I got to experience heaven longer than you. Isn't that truth? (laughs) Isn't that true? We're all going to live out there for eternity, but they got to go early. And they experienced heaven longer than I did. Because, see, death for God is a blessing. Death for God is a blessing. Where we see death as defeat. We see life as a blessing. That we get to live on as a blessing. Listen to what God says. Blessed are the dead who die. Not who just die. But who die what? In what? In who? In the Lord. It's not a blessing to die if you don't have the Lord. That's not a good thing if you're dying without the Lord. But if you have the Lord in your life and you are in Christ, then blessed are you, happy are you, rejoicing are you, for you are in the Lord. He views it totally different than we view it. Look what else. The Spirit chimes in. It's like he got excited whenever he heard that, so he just had to chime in. He, he, he didn't say amen, but it was kind of like saying amen, all right? He's just kind of adding something to that. Listen to what he says. And the Spirit says that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with or after them. Two great truths. Two great truths. One is you are coming to a time when you get to go to glory that you are going to rest from your labors. Now, hold on a second. That does not mean that you're going to sit on a cloud, dangle your feet off, and do nothing. It doesn't. Well, I thought heaven was I don't have to work anymore. I just get to sit up there and do nothing. No. You're going to do things in heaven. Amen. You're going to do things in heaven. You're going to do things on the new heaven and new earth. There are going to things you can do. But here's the key. When it says rest, it doesn't mean inactivity. But it means rest in the sense of rejuvenating or being refreshed. And when it's talking about labor, it means that you carry on a work without toil, without agony and toil. In other words, we're going to go to a place where we're going to be able to carry on work and do the work of God. And it's not going to make us tired. It's going to rejuvenate us. And it's not going to be some labor or toil I have to accomplish. It brings the joy and fulfillment of my life. I'm going to be working with the Lord and experience something fresh and new and all he calls on me to do. I'm not going to be like in this old world where we're battling the thorns and thistles and everything that tears it down. It's going to be a rejuvenating thing. But he also says this. You're going to go to a new place where you have a new experience of life and and a new walk of life. But also he says... And their deeds follow with them. 
We no longer, whenever we leave this place and when they left that place in tribulation time, when you leave this place, we're no longer here to work, are we? You only have a certain amount of time that you're going to be able to do your work on this earth. Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, we must labor while it is day for what? For night is coming. In other words, there's a period of time that we have a work to do that we're going to specifically do. And we need to be busy about doing that, planting whatever seeds we're going to plant, building what we need to be, carrying and accomplishing whatever we need to. We need to be busy about that, for there will be a time we will do no more. But that's not the end. Because it says this, and their works shall follow after them. Their works shall follow after them. That means that what you do and how you live on this earth has an existence and an influence beyond your years. Do you realize that? Beyond your years. When you die, your influence is still going to be carried on. Your, your labor that you had and, and whatever you accomplished is going to still carry on. When you touch somebody's life and they're different because of that, that influence carries on. The reason we do not experience judgment till the end of time is because we can experience judgment to the end of time because what we have done will continue to bear fruit from generation to generation to generation. You realize that? In other words, if, if, if I led one person to Christ, if I, I led one person, and they in their life led another person to Christ, and it's a thousand years, and somebody led somebody to Christ, and down that line, somebody becomes Billy Graham, or another one like Billy Graham, then bless God, that's attributed to my account, amen? Because what? Because I had a part of beginning the chain. If I do something in my life that blesses somebody, any penny given, any dollar given, any kind gesture made. Anything that I do, it comes and bears fruit. And as it bears fruit, God keeps up with the accounting. I'm glad I don't have to keep up with that. But God keeps up with the accounting and their works follow them. Now, hold on a second. Let me remind you of something that's on both sides. In other words, you didn't make sure what kind of fruit you're planting. Amen. If you're planting the fruit of righteousness, it brings forth what? Righteousness. But if you plant a seed of wickedness, what does it bring? It brings forth wickedness. So you need to realize that every day I live and everything I'm I'm about, I need to be making sure I understand the fruit will follow me and it'll follow me in multiplied portions. So I want to be the fruit of righteousness, not unrighteousness. The announcement to those saints, imagine those going through that tribulation time, having to face what they face with fear, wondering about what they're going to encounter. And, and God gives a message to them from the realms of heaven and says, Blessed are you, blessed are you, for you die in the Lord. And you are coming where there is a place of rest. But your influence in your life, it follows you. It follows you. What a word of encouragement. What a word of encouragement to us. Amen? Amen. After that word of encouragement to those saints, then there are three other angels but two visions. Very important visions right here about what is about to take place in this apocalypse. That's what it says in verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud... 
And sitting on the cloud was like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, who do you think that might be? He looks like the son of man. He has a crown on his head. He has a sickle in his hand. Who, who, who do you think that might be? Jesus. That's right. Probably many of your, your translations, if you'll notice, it probably may have the capital H on him. And, and that is because that, that particular translator is telling you who they believe it is, and that's who I believe it is. I believe that this person on the white cloud, looking like the Son of Man, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what happens as he's sitting there. Verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Here it is. Put your sickle, you need to underline this, and reap, because the hour to reap has come. Because, underline these words, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Lord Jesus, sitting there on the cloud, been waiting for the command to be given by the Father that it is time to go and to bring forth the consummation of time when the redemption draweth nigh, when the judgment of God is going to come, and he fully redeems his creation. And the angel comes out of the temple and announces to the Son of God, It is time. It is time. Take now your sickle and go, and it is time, very important, it is time to reap. The world is ready to be reaped. It is time to reap the harvest. For see, the Son of Man has responsibility at the end of time to reap the harvest of this world. His job is to reap the harvest of this world. He told us about it. Do you all remember that? Hold your hand for just a minute. Turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. This is Jesus teaching. Hear what he says. Matthew 13, if I can ever get there. Here we go. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. They were asking questions about the kingdom. And he tells parables and stories about the kingdom. Listen to what he says in verse 24. And he presented another parable saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to the man who sowed good seed in his field. And while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slave of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not, we, did we not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, And the enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Listen to what Jesus says. But he said, No, lest while you're gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat also. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up and gather the wheat into my barn. Now, he explains that in verses 36 through 44, 43. I want to read just 
41 through 43. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those committed lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, and he who has an ear, let him hear. When Jesus walked on this earth, he told us about the time of the kingdom, the time when there would be a harvest. He says, in this world, there's wheat. That's the children of God. At the same time, there are tares. Those are the children of the enemy. But it is not for us to go in there and to take and to dig out the tares, but rather to wait to the time of harvest. At the time of harvest, then there will be the reaping. And in that time of reaping, he will take forth the tares, bundle them up, and they will be burned and judged. And he says, there will be gnashing of teeth, agony and pain, talking about torment. And then he says, the wheat, which are the sons of God, then they will be gathered up, and that is the reaping of the fruit of God from this world. So here in Revelation chapter 14, he says this, The Son of Man has been told, It is time. It is the hour to go and to reap. And he goes forth and he harvests the earth, for it is ripe and ready. And he swung his sickle, and the earth was reaped. I want you to understand this. The reaping of the harvest of this earth is under the direction of Jesus, the Son of God. Amen? He is directly involved in the reaping of this world. And he's going to put the sickle in, and he's going to take out those which are tares, those which are not the children of God. They'll be bundled and burned. And at the same time, he will take that sickle, and he will cut forth the wheat. Those are the sons of of righteousness, and they will receive eternal reward. That is the fruit, that is the harvest of his labor. That is the fruit of his toil. Those are the children who've been redeemed. And the Son of God is the one who oversees the harvesting of the world. Now, that's, that's what's about to happen. In the Revelation, that's what's about to happen. He's about to harvest. He's about to gather the redeemed. He's about to judge those who are the unrighteous. The Son of God reaps the harvest. Then there is the final vision of the angels. Look what it says in verse 18. And another angel, the one who has the power over fire. You ought to underline that. The one who has the power over fire came from the altar. That's very important. Came from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your, si- your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the, vi- the vine of the earth. Gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. Underline that. Because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth. And threw them into the great winepress of what? Of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Wow, is right. 
This is talking about the wrath of God. Jesus is the one who is reaping and watching over the harvest. He gathers all of the wheat and all that's his, and he preserves that, and he knows his own. Amen? But after he has gathered the harvest, then the angel who is in charge of fire, who comes from the altar, who comes from the altar, he announces to another angel who has the sickle that is time for the wrath of God. Now, if you want to understand about that, that angel who comes with fire from the altar, you have to go back to uh, Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. You read it when you get home. I introduced it to you when we came through Revelation 6. We talked about the martyrs, those who, were, who had died in the Lord, those who had, been, who had given their life. And remember where they were? They were underneath the altar. Remember that? They were underneath the altar and they were crying out to God, God, how long, how long until you judge those who have brought forth us to death? How long, O oh God, will your patience last? And when will you finally judge the world? Where was that? At the altar, at the golden altar of incense, where the fire was. So coming out of the temple is this angel who's in charge of fire coming from the altar. Where what? You've been hearing all this time, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, how long until you bring forth your justice and judgment. Now is the time. God says to that angel, now is the time. And all those who've been asking for years about when's he going to be, now is the time. And that angel comes forth from the temple when God says it's time and says to an angel with a sickle in his hand, go forth, go forth in verse 19 and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth and throw them down for they are ripe. Now listen, the vine of the earth, very important. You know what that is? There's the vine of the earth, and there's the vine of God. Who is the vine of God? Jesus is. We're the branches, right? He's the vine, and we're the branches. That's in John 15, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. He is the vine. We are the branches. He's the vine of God. But he says, now you are to go forth, and you're to gather up and to reap. Those who are the vine of the earth. That's not the vine of God. That's not of Jesus. This is what's being produced out of sin, out of the earth. Now it is time to go and to bring forth and to gather up the fruit of the vine of the earth. And it says, for it is ripe. It is ripe. It means that it is at the ultimate point. And it's talking about sin. Sin has reached its highest mark. Now, I know you think that sin's already reached its highest mark in the world we live in. Nope, it gets worse. As bad as you might think it is, it gets worse. And it's going to reach a time where it is going to be fully ripe. And at that time, God's going to send forth the angel with the sickle. And he's going to go... (coughs) And he's not going, it's not a matter of harvest. There's nothing for him to gather up. There's nothing for him to watch over. He's going to do a sickle and he's going to cut out all of the earth. All that is left 
the vine of the earth. And there is nothing to redeem it. It is all going to be gathered up and carried over to a wine press in order for the wrath of God to come upon it. See, for those of you who are farmers or those of you who are gardeners, whenever you're trying to weed out the, the weeds away from the plants, you use a little hoe. <laughs> you know, take a little hoe and you use a little instrument, or you might, you might, if you know how to use a tiller, you might use a tiller. But you don't go, you don't go weeding with a, with a bush hog. That's not the way you do it. You don't weed with a bush hog. All a bush hog does is cut up everything. And basically, that's what this sickle is. There's nothing to save. The angel is going to gather up all, all of the vine of the earth, all of its grapes. And it's going to be cast into the wine press. And the wine press, what people did, they took the grapes and they just stomped down the grapes. They'd stomp down the grapes and then the juice would run forth. And that's what happens here. They throw it in a wine press that is near Jerusalem, near the city of Jerusalem. And it says that the wrath of God is going to come. And whenever it comes, God is going to press down all of those grapes of the vine of the earth. But here's the interesting thing. Coming forth from it is not grape juice. Coming from it is not the fluid of a grape. Coming forth is blood. For see, it lets you know that that the gathering of this grace has nothing to do with fruit. It has to do with men. And that what the judgment and the wrath of God is going to be, is going to be that men die. They pay a price, their blood, because they've chosen, they've chosen to reject the Son of God and to bear their own sin and the payment for their sin. This also introduces us to chapter 16, the battle of Armageddon. That's what it's talking about in verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Remember, we were introduced to that 200 million person army, (laughs) along with others. That's just the ones coming from the east who are going to come in the day of Armageddon. That doesn't count the other ones who are coming from the other directions. It's going to be, the battle of Armageddon is going to be the most horrendous experience there's ever been. There's going to be so much bloodshed. Now, for 200 miles, there's going to be battle that's being carried on. Hand-to-hand combat, probably, battle to battle. Now, it doesn't mean that there's going to be literally blood that's 200 miles, but what it means is this, is that there's going to be so much blood lit that on the horse's bridle will be blood. There'll be blood on the horse's bridle, up to the bridle, because there'll be so much blood that's in the battle of Armageddon. And all of that, all of that is because people won't let Jesus, what he did, take away their sin. But they let sin grow and grow and ripen and ripen. And God, who is a holy God and a righteous God, even though he is a patient God and he's waited for so very, very long, there comes a time when he says, it is time to put an end Put an end to sin and to make all things new. And that's a precursor. That's an introduction of what he's about to tell you is going to happen in the Revelation. Now, let me tell you a good little truth, all right? I'm so glad. I am so glad that I'm not going to be in the wine press. 
I'm so glad that it's not going to trod me down and my blood is coming forth out of that wine press. But do you know why? Because as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus gave his blood on a wine press called a cross. That I don't have to do that. And whenever you take of that bread today, whenever you hold that cup and you partake of that cup, you just let it remind you. Let it remind you deep within your heart that this is Jesus, represents Jesus' blood that shed for me. And because he did it for me, I don't have to worry about the wine press. I don't have to worry about the judgment of God. All the judgment of God fell on him for me. And I thank him. I thank him. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.